Welcome to the Lex City Church Podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church. Well, good morning, church family. As Zach said, my name is TJ Clausen. I'm the youth director here at Lex City. And I love the privilege I get of the opportunity to get to lead our student ministry and then also get to periodically speak to all you guys on Sunday mornings. And so today, to start, I wanted to begin with a story a mythology, if you will, of the creation of Lexington. So it goes back to 1775, and this rugged outcast named Daniel Boone decides he's going to go explore the unknown lands to the west. Unable to achieve the fame and the fortune that he wanted in city life, he decides, I'm going to go find a new land so that I can have my fame known. And so he decides to head out, but this new land is dangerous. And so he cries out one day to the skies and says, to any gods that are out there, give me protection as I head into this unknown world. Well, the god of horses hears his call. And so one night, as Daniel Boone and his company are traveling, it's foggy. They get lost and turned around, and they start calling to each other, trying to regroup. And Daniel Boone sees out of the mist this shadowy figure approaching him. And this figure gets closer, and he says, Boone... My name is Lex, and I am the god of horses. And in, re in return for your worship, I will give you a magical horse that will guide you to the perfect homeland, and it is so fast and strong that any time you are riding it, you will be safe from any types of danger. And so with this magical horse, Daniel Boone perfectly navigates these western lands, and his, as his fame grows, he's protected from all kinds of danger, and he finally arrives at this perfect spot for this new town. And so he names the town Lexington. And in the middle of the town, he builds a statue to a horse. And twice a year, this town hosts a race of all the strongest and best horses in the region in honor of this magical horse that got them to this perfect town. Pretty good mythology, right? A little bit of truth, a little bit of wonder, an amazing story of why we do what we do. Now, you might not believe that origin story of the town of Lexington, but Today, we're going to go to the book of Acts, and Paul is going to find himself in a city with a very similar origin story. And not only do they believe it, but it is their identity of who they are. And so this morning, we're going to look at Acts chapter 17. So if you're new to Lex City and you want to follow along on your phone, just go to lexcity.info. There's message notes there. Anything you need to know about our church, you'll be able to find on there. But kind of set up where we're going today in Acts chapter 17 kind of where we are in the story of Acts, Paul at this point is kind of at the farthest point of his second missionary journey, all right? So I got a map here for you just to make it easy. He finds himself in Athens here, all right? He has just fled from Berea and Thessalonica up to the north because he's getting chased by this zealous group of Jews who are wanting to kill him because he's teaching that Jesus is the Messiah. And so Paul finds himself here in Athens, the epicenter of Greek culture, philosophy, and religion still at this time. And to say that Athens had many gods would really be an understatement. All right, Athens and the Greeks had their uh, pantheon of the 12 principal gods, or the 12 Olympians, most notably as Athena, who Athens is named after. Their origin story is Athena gives them the olive tree, which is their source of their wealth and their knowledge as a group of people in exchange for the city's worship of her. But even within the city, you would find hundreds of other altars and statues and cults to different gods 
all over the place. In fact, contemporary historians of the time described Athens this way. They said, Athens was a city where it was easier to find a god than a human. And so it was the home of this philosophy of you do what's best for you when it comes to the gods. And so here's what happens with Paul in Athens. He's, he arrives, he's waiting for Silas and Timothy to show up. They're still in Berea. They're going to make their way down. And when they get there, Paul's going to have this amazing story of what God used him to do in this city of Athens. And so we're going to look at it. Chapter 17, we're going to start in verse 16. It says this. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicureans and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? And others remarked, he seems to be advocating some foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus in the resurrection. And so what I like about Acts chapter 17, it kind of gives us some inside or the logistics of how Paul goes about this plant or this church planning ministry that he does. We think of Paul as kind of like the OG church planner, like the greatest church planner ever. He literally travels the world establishing these communities of Christ followers. And chapter 17 kind of gives us a little behind the scenes of like, how does this actually happen? And so it says when he arrives at Athens, the first thing he does is go to the synagogue. So the synagogues were places of worship and community for Jews who were living outside of Jerusalem because they didn't have access to the temple, which was in Jerusalem. So they have these synagogues, which is where they would go for their worship and where they would have community. And so we see this Paul, when he goes to a city, always starts with the synagogue. At the very beginning of chapter 17, it tells us this was Paul's normal routine. Acts 17, 2 through 4. It says, as was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service. And there for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures to reason with the people. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. And one thing that I think is so cool that sometimes we don't pay attention to or we just miss is that even now we see non-Jewish people worshiping the God of Israel. It's really cool. We see that here at the beginning of chapter 17. We saw the same thing with Athens. Again, in verse 17, in Athens, it says, he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. And I think sometimes it's our misunderstanding of what the purpose of the nation of Israel was. It wasn't ever supposed to be this exclusive Old Testament religion. No, God's purpose for the nation of Israel was that they were supposed to be the light and example of God to the rest of the world. That in a world that was full of sin and human depravity, there would be this nation that is set apart and people would look at it and go, what is so different? Why do you guys have so much peace? Why are you having blessing? Why are things going good? Why are you not killing each other like everyone else? And they would go, it's because we worship Yahweh. And it was this invitation to the entire world, come join this community, this relationship with the one true God. And the Old Testament is full of cycles where Israel is doing this really well, and we get to see the effects that it has on the people around them. But the Old Testament is also full of cycles where Israel is not doing this really well, and we even see the effects that it has on the people around them. 
And to me, it's one of the great mysteries of God that out of his love for us and in his plan, he chooses us sinful human beings to be the vehicle of the gospel. Like, why does God choose sinful humans to be the ones that he partners with to bring about his good news to the world? Like, why is that your plan, God? I ask that all the time. Lately, I've been enjoying, or enjoying is probably the wrong word, I've been intrigued by the new uh, Hulu documentary, The Secrets of Hillsong, that just came out. And it's kind of talking about some of the public fall that happened in the Hillsong church. And it just makes me keep asking that question, God, why do you want us sinful human beings to be the representation to the world? Like, I feel like I look all over culture and I'm like, we just keep messing it up. How is this what you want us to do? But then I look at the Old Testament and I look at the nation of Israel and I'm reminded it's always been that way. Like, why does God use Samson to be this great deliverer despite his disobedience pretty much his entire life? Why does David get to be this revered, favored man of God after a horrendous sin that he's a part of? I think ultimately it reminds us of our need for God because we see all of us in his image not being able to do it perfectly, failing and showing and reminding us that we don't follow human beings, we follow God. That's why we need God because he's perfect and his character is never gonna fail. But yet it's still one of those great mysteries, right? Why he commissions us to be his image in representation to the world amidst our sinful state. But I say all that because that's the reason why Paul first goes to the synagogues. Because these are the people, the Jews were supposed to be the people who were representing God to the world. That even though they didn't live in Jerusalem, they were supposed to be showing who God was wherever they were out living. And so Paul would first start there and would go and he'd walk them through the scriptures, the Old Testaments, and show them this is who the Messiah is. And Jesus fulfills that. And he's trying to encourage them. Like, Jesus didn't come to just get rid of all those things you worship. He came to fulfill them, to complete them, to make them better and perfect. And now God's saying to us, because you've been forgiven, go and show my grace and forgiveness to your communities in my name. And so Paul says he preaches in the synagogue on the Sabbath gatherings, their church gatherings, basically. And then the other days of the week, it says he reasons in the marketplace day by day with those who happen to be there. And a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. And again, this isn't some new evangelistic uh, idea that Paul had. He was just doing what every Jew was supposed to be doing, to be out in their community talking about the truth of the one true God. And it says, while he's out talking about the good news of Jesus, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers begin to debate with him. So really quick, all right, these are two main philosophy groups that are kind of hallmarks to Athenian culture. All right, they, these two beliefs arise out of a debate that happens between Plato and his disciple Aristotle. And so quick little spark note for you, just so you can kind of know what they are, all right? So Epicureans, they believe that pleasure is the sole intrinsic goal of life. But not necessarily like indulgence in your pleasures, but rather that the absence of fear and pain is what your life should be about. And so they would say, do whatever you need to, to just avoid pain and fear or distract yourself from them or eliminate them from your life. That is your goal. And so their view of God was, yeah, the gods probably exist, but they don't interfere with humans at all because they are living in the perfect state of peace and no stress and no fear and pain. And they can't live in that if they're operating with us on earth because of how terrible we are. And so that was kind of their view of it. 
And then you had the Stoics, on the other hand, they were pantheists. They believed that God was in everything and kind of a part of everything, more like the force. And so their idea was all about self-control. The way you achieve the perfect life is you rid yourself of all desires and you just kind of exist within the force. So these two uh, ideas, these two philosophies were major rivals at the time. And so their advocates were constantly in the public square and in the marketplace trying to convince people that they had the right philosophy. It was this debate, is Athens going to be more stoic or is Athens going to be more Epicurean? And they're constantly trying to get people to join their side. And it says while they're in the marketplace, both groups keep having these conversations with this guy named Paul. And Paul is standing out to them because he's talking about something that to them is different than any view of God they've ever heard. It doesn't fit Stoicism. It doesn't fit Epicureans. And it's like, so he's just, they're confused by what is this guy Paul talking about? And so murmurs start happening. And then they finally say, let's just bring Paul in front of our city council and find out what this truth is that he's trying to talk about. And so the story continues in chapter 17, verse 19. It says this. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. And then Luke just adds, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. And so this gospel, this good news of Jesus is so new and intriguing to these philosophers that they invite Paul to come speak at the Areopagus. All right, and let me just give you a quick visual of it because it'll be helpful when we see what Paul says. So here's the Areopagus at the time. It's the rock part out at the bottom. It was basically their city council. It's where all their debates happened. It's where all their judgings happened. It's where all religious decisions were made. It was kind of the brain of the city, so to speak, kind of like our city council would be. And it was at the base of the Acropolis, which is their mountain of temples. Most uh, famously was the uh, Parthenon, the temple to Athena. And so here you have Paul. He's in the city center, surrounded by all the objects that they worship. And this is his message to the Athenian crowd in verse 22. We'll finish it here. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walk around and look carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. And so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needs anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Verse 29, therefore, since we are God's offsprings, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day where he will judge the world with his justice by the man he's appointed. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And so amidst all the gods that are worshiped, in Athens, they also had altars and even the past, even temples to this God that they labeled the unknown God. And this was kind of the Athenians' way and attempt to basically, when you had done everything you could to try to please the Olympian gods to, and you still haven't got the outcome you were wanting, 
It was kind of their catch-all way of being like, well, you must have offended some God we don't know, and that's why you have this happening to you, and you need to appease this God that we don't know who he is. And what I love about Paul, he's literally at the bottom of this mountain of temples and altars, and he literally probably can point to this altar and says, you were kind of right. He's like, there is this God that you don't know, that you have offended, that is the reason for all the good and the bad that is in your life. But Paul says, but I know who this God is. Let me share him with you. And again, Paul begins to share about Jesus, what he's done for our salvation, which again is drastically different than any view of the gods that the Athenians had at that time. And Paul explains to them, this isn't just another God you can add to this mountain of temples. You can't just build a new temple to this God. He says, this is the God. He says, this is the God who is the source of everything. He's the sustainer of everything. He's the salvation of everything. And it's this beautiful both invitation and warning of a perfect, just, good God. And I'd love to take an hour and just break down like how this sermon just con confronts all the ideas and the ideologies and the philosophies that the Athenians had, but I don't have time for that. So you can do that this week if you're into it. But why do I go this story? What's the reason for us from a sermon preached by Paul to the city of Athens? Well, I think this experience for Paul is really not that different than the experiences that we have every single day. And I think there's two things that we see from Paul that really need to be true of our lives. And so let me give you those. The first is this. Number one is grieve over idolatry and do something about it. Grieve over idolatry and do something about it. That's how this whole story starts, all the way back in verse 16. It says, Paul was greatly distressed to see the city full of idols. Other translations word it this way. Paul's spirit was provoked by the idolatry of the city. See, it wasn't just that it upset him, it provoked his spirit. And so my question for us is, does the idolatry of our culture today provoke you? I don't mean does it make you uncomfortable. I know it makes you uncomfortable, right? Because it's not what we believe. It's opposite of what we believe. It's against what God says. It's not comfortable for us. But I'm not asking, does it make you uncomfortable? I know it makes you uncomfortable. That's why we're not good a lot of times at engaging with culture, right? We see people worshiping and idolizing success and money as the thing that's going to fulfill them. And we kind of just write them off as like greedy. And we're just like, we try not to let them negatively infect, uh, influence us, right? Like I'm going to go to work. I'm just going to do my job. I'm just going to not let those greedy people impact me in a negative way. Or we see our culture like idolizing pleasure and we kind of are just like, Let's, we just won't look over there. We're just going to try and stay in our little, you know, holy pure bubble as best as we can and just try and stay away from all that. Or we see our culture idolizing and trying to find meaning and purpose even in things like sexuality and we honestly go, I don't get that and it makes me really uncomfortable and I don't really know how to process that. So just stay over there and stay away from me. I think for most of us, our culture is full of idolatry and it makes us uncomfortable, but that's the only emotion that it provokes in us. We tell ourselves and we even tell each other like, hey, culture is just so far gone. Just stay away from it the best that you can. Just try and stay in the Christian bubble and that's gonna be helpful for you. But that's not what Paul does. See, Paul arrives in Athens and he goes to the marketplace. And I guarantee you, Paul was uncomfortable every single day. As a religious Jewish Pharisee, there would have, he would have been surrounded by people breaking all 200 plus laws that he believed in and thought were actually good and needed to follow. 
But yet we see what I think was different for Paul is it says that the idolatry provoked his spirit. In other words, he grieved not because he was uncomfortable from them. It was he grieved because he was uncomfortable for them. Paul's spirit was provoked for the people he saw that were so lost. And I think as American Christians, this is something that we need to get better at. It's not supposed to be us against the world. It's supposed to be us for the world. When we encounter someone who is idolizing and looking to pleasure to be the source of their existence, we should grieve for that person. When we see and come across people who are looking to sexuality to give them their identity and that's their idolatry, we should grieve for them. We should see them as that somebody that God loves and they just don't know it yet. When we come across people who are just searching money and power to be the thing that gives them meaning, we should grieve for them because we know it's going to leave them empty. We know that it's not going to satisfy our souls. That's why I love this story, because Paul finds himself in a spiritually dark place called Athens. And I think sometimes we romanticize Athens of, oh, how cool it would be, but they're worshiping every god under the sun in the most terrible ways. This is a spiritually dark place that Paul walks into, and it says that it grieves his heart for others. He could have so easily just hid away in a house. After all, he's running for his life in the first place. He could have just got to Athens, laid low, waited for Silas and Timothy to show up and been like, guys, do not go out there. You do not want to know what is going on in the marketplace over here in Athens. Let's just get in our boat, head back to Jerusalem where it's safe and comfortable. But we see instead, Paul says he goes out and his spirit is grieved by the idolatry. He is grieving for the people because he's seen them look to all these idols to be the thing that answers their meanings of life. And he goes, I know what they're looking for. I'm going to go bring them the good news of the gospel. The idolatry provokes him to share the good news in the marketplace every day. It's really the opposite response of Jonah, right? You remember the story of Jonah? God tells him to bring a gospel message to the city of Nineveh. And remember what his response is? God, you know how wicked that city is? God, do you know what they do to your people? God, do you know the idolatry that happens in their city? Do you know what they're saying about you? Do you know what me as a God-fearing person, if I go tell them to change their ways, what they're going to do to me? And Jonah says, I'm not going. And he gets in a boat, literally headed in the opposite direction, trying to run away from God. And I think we see our culture today, and if we're honest, Jonah's approach makes a lot more sense. Sometimes we look at culture today, and if we're honest, we're like, God, just burn it down and start again with the church. Like, we can do this. We got this. Like, just get rid of it. It's so far gone. There's no point in engaging with it. But that's not what Paul does. It's the opposite of what Paul does. And so my first question for you is, does the idolatry of our culture provoke your spirit to share the gospel with others. And it's not just feeling bad for them. It's not just like, oh, they don't know, poor them. It's this idea of you see that they're searching for something and it instills in you the desire to do something about it. To see someone who is lost in the Holy Spirit, which is in us, which gives us love for other people, is provoked to say, I want for them what God wants for them. You have to be like, okay, yeah, that sounds great. How do you do that though? You can Google search, right? A hundred different ways to evangelize. All the apologetic uh, arguments that you need to know to convince someone of Jesus. But let me just give you one thing today. One thing that I think we see from Paul 
that really gets to the heart of how we bring this good news to others. All right, and it's our second point, which is this. Have confidence that you have the answer. Have confidence you have the answers. Paul's confidence was that he knew the God that the Athenians didn't know. He had the answer to all the questions that they had been seeking. Every idol they were worshiping, the hundreds of different gods, were all attempts to answer questions about their existence. And the same is true with our idolatry today. People who idolize money, power, fame, sexuality, pleasure, identity, politics, they're all attempts to answer questions about their existence. And we have the answer. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but we shouldn't be afraid to engage with our culture. We literally have the answer that everybody is looking for. Because what is it that our culture is looking for? I think people want to know that they're loved, they're accepted, and they have a purpose. Right? People want to know they're loved, they're accepted, they have a purpose. What is the promise of the gospel? For God so loved the world, loved every single human being he created, that he sent his son. He came himself to die as a punishment for our sins, so that whoever believes in him through his death and resurrection becomes accepted again into the spiritual relationship with God. That they shouldn't perish but have eternal life. Purpose of worshiping God who created you now and for the rest of our life. That is our purpose. That is the only purpose that's going to satisfy human beings. That's what we were created for, to be in relationship and worship the God who created us. So be confident you have the answer. Our culture today is full of idolatry, just like the Athenians, because it's searching for God. Our culture doesn't need to be reminded that they're sinners. They already know, right? They're searching for meaning. They're searching for why am I doing what I'm doing? What is my motivation? What is my purpose for what I'm doing here on earth? That's what they need to know. Everybody has a little altar to the unknown God in their life, right? That part of their life where their current idolatry just isn't answering the question. And some people are more willing to admit that than others, but the reality is we're all searching for a meaning. We're all searching for purpose, right? Even denying God is an attempt to explain God. It's just in us. God created us to need answers to those questions, and so everyone is encountering, everyone you encounter is trying to answer those questions. And everyone deep down knows that their idolatry isn't fully answering it. They just don't know what they're missing. And the truth is that we know what that is. You don't have to tear someone down to get them ready to hear the gospel. They're already searching. Right? Yes, there is right and wrong. Yes, we need to confront sin. But a person's actions come from what they worship and what they worship is an attempt to answer a question about their existence. A person's actions come from what they worship, and what they worship is an attempt to answer something about their existence. And so don't, sometimes we just try and start with the actions, right? Like God says you should do this better. God wants you to do this. Why start with the actions? You have the answer to the bigger question. You have the answer to the why you do it, the your purpose in life, the what God wants for you. And that's the answer that's actually going to have the power to change someone's life. One of my favorite seasons in life was when I was in college and I worked at a snowboard shop in Chicago. For you guys that know me, you'll know I like that job for many reasons, but one of the main things for me was just the people I got to work with. And I remember for me, it was the first time in my life where I really felt like I experienced my spirit being grieved because everyone I worked with was just searching for answers. And it was so much fun to be able to just speak with confidence 
of like, yeah, this is what I believe. This is how it's working in my life, and this is why. And not this holier than thou, or not I know all the answers, but just this genuine, like, I know what you're searching for. Ask me the questions that you have, because I know it's, it's going to be God who will answer those questions in your life. And I didn't have a chance to, you know, save my entire snowboard shop right there on the moment. And even Paul didn't save all of Athens with this one sermon. But like Paul, I let my spirit be grieved for others. And I had the confidence to say, this is what I know is true. And here's where you can see it in my life. And I know that that's going to be the thing that they go to when they're searching for those answers. They're going to know the truth of that God created them, that God has a purpose for them, that God loves them, and that is the meaning and purpose of who they are. So starting tomorrow, we have a chance to be in the marketplace. And it's dark, and it's aggressive, and it's sinful, and it's uncomfortable, and it's full of idolatry. You can either hide away in your Christian bubble and try and not let it affect you and just get through your nine to five, or we can allow our hearts to be grieved over the idolatry of our world and do something about it because we have confidence that we have the answer people are looking for, right? Not in this holier than thou, not in the I know you don't, but just this genuine God loves you and I can feel that you are searching for something and I want to just show you who that is. Go into your weeks with that confidence that you have the answer that the world around you is looking for. Let me pray. God, thank you just for the truth of your word this morning. Lord, we apologize for the times we've allowed the idolatry of our world to cause us to hide away from it or even just straight run away. And if we're honest with ourselves, we've not looked at the world around us in a way that grieves our spirit because they don't know you. So help us this week approach the world around us with confidence that we have what they're looking for. Not in an arrogant way, not in a condescending way, but in a way led by your spirit. Lord, give us the words to speak this week. Give us the eyes to see. Give us the grace to give to others as we engage in the marketplace. God, we love you. We praise you. We probably sing your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church/give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.